today is fellow editor Marion Webb and our UK-based journalist Barnaby Pickering. So Marion, this week you wrote a story about Garden Health, which markets several liquid biopsy tests, but they announced this week that they'll be launching a new test. What can you tell us about this new product? Yes, Reed. So this week the company announced the launch of its newest test, which is called Garden Reveal, and it is designed for early detection of residual and recurrent collateral cancer. I spoke with the CEO of the company, Halmi Altuki, and he considers this test a big game changer. He said there are about 1.5 million colorectal cancer survivors in the U.S. who are living in fear that the cancer comes back, and an estimated 10 to 30 percent of early-stage patients do see recurrence. So by having a test that can quickly identify those high-risk patients who may benefit from a juvenile therapy after surgery early on, oncologists can intervene earlier and make treatment decisions that could potentially be life-saving. All right, well, that's interesting. So how are they planning to market that test? So the company said there are about 10 to 12,000 oncologists out there who are already familiar with the company's flagship product, which is the Garden 360 test. This test was launched back in 2014 and has guided therapy selection for hundreds of thousands of metastatic cancer patients. Also last August, Garden also gained FDA approval for its Garden 360DX for comprehensive genomic profiling in patients with any solid tumor. That was a big deal. Mr. Oltuki told me it was also approved as a companion diagnostic to identify non-small cell lung cancer patients with epidermal growth factor receptor alterations who may benefit from treatment with AstraZeneca's lung cancer drug, Tegreso. So the CEO believes that the new garden reveal will have a successful launch, given that many oncologists are already familiar with its liquid biopsy tests. The new test has a market size of about $15 billion, but it's also competing against other players that are already on the market, in particular, Natera's Signatera liquid biopsy test, which is also used by oncologists to assess colorectal cancer. But Garden CEO believes that Garden Reveal stands out for several reasons. So he told me, for one, it doesn't require tissue-based testing, which is painful for patients and results can take up to eight weeks to come back from the lab. And that compares to just seven days turnaround time for garden reveal. So he feels that's a huge advantage because it allows doctors to make often very critical treatment decisions a lot earlier. Okay, so liquid biopsy is definitely a very interesting space to watch. And there are a couple of companies in that area that uh, you've been watching along with garden Is there anything else you've learned from your interviews with that CEO and the physicians you talked to? Yes, so liquid biopsy is definitely a very interesting space to watch and keep watching. And like you said, there are several companies in that area we're watching along with Garden Health. Well, the physician I spoke with who has has used Garden Reveal for research at Massachusetts General Hospital told me that liquid biopsy testing can be a very powerful tool to help doctors make treatment decisions, but they're just one tool in their toolbox, and oncologists want to see more data and validations of these tests. Also noteworthy is that Garden Health is planning to introduce another test later this year, namely its first ever tissue-based assay. So this test will provide comprehensive genomic profiling for all solid tumors, 
and the CEO told me is part of the company's wider strategy to transform the company from a leading liquid biopsy company to a leading cancer testing company and become a one-stop shop across any type of tumor. All right. Well, thanks for that. That is a fantastic update. So, Barnaby, this week you published your first market intelligence article for us. Can you tell us what that's about? Uh, yes, I did. The market intelligence story is about the global market for insulin pumps. Using information from a med device tracker report, I've aimed to highlight the key features and trends going forward with projections made up until 2024. To summarize, the market is going to grow quickly. In 2019, the global market for insulin pumps was roughly $3.1 billion. However, by 2024, it will be worth roughly $5.1 billion. This represents a compound annual growth rate of 10.4%. So what are the underlying causes for that growth? The largest underlying growth factor is simply an aging and expanding global population. As a result, the number of type 1 and insulin-dependent type 2 diabetics is rapidly increasing. There are currently 463 million people worldwide with diabetes, and by 2045, this number will expand to roughly 700 million. Building off of this driver are smaller but also important drivers. One of these is reimbursement. Insulin pumps have a really strong track record in terms of medical devices and have really good clinical results. As a result, public health systems and private insurers are becoming more and more willing to pay substantial amounts of money for them, as they often lead to cost savings overall. Alongside this, innovation in the industry is fast. Older, more established companies such as Medtronic and Insulet are facing increased competition from smaller suppliers and therefore must intently pursue R&D in order to maintain a competitive edge over smaller competitors. So how are these smaller competitors breaking into this market? Good question. Smaller competitors are changing the landscape of insulin pumps primarily by focusing on the end user. Companies like Tandem have worked with continuous glucose monitor producer Dexcom to produce pumps that are intuitive to use. Tandem's control IQ system was approved for people as young as six. Even smaller competitors such as Diabolib and Beta Bionics are taking this one step further. Their efforts are focused on creating artificial pancreases, or APs for short. APs aim to be completely closed loop. This closed loop denotion simply means that the device is plug and go. No manual calibration or glucose measurement is needed, therefore fully addressing the issue of usability. So in summary, what are the key things to take away from that report? The Med Device Tracker report really highlights the level of ingenuity in the market. The big players are here to stay, however, are being forced to rapidly modernize their offerings by hopeful, smaller and more agile competitors. Thanks for that. That is a very useful report. Reed, we've been covering a lot of big financing deals for med tech companies lately, and you've covered a few noteworthy ones. For example, this week you covered a new public offering from a company called Neovasc. What can you tell us about that? Well, that's right. So a Vancouver area pre-revenue company, which is called Neovasc, as you mentioned, sold 36 million new shares for $2 a share this week, so uh, for $72 million total. And they'll get about $65 million out of that after you take out the fees and, and other expenses. So that's very good news for this company because it shows that investors still have at least some confidence in the devices that it's trying to develop, particularly the reducer device. And that's a kind of nitinol frame device that can be inserted into the coronary sinus to improve blood flow to the myocardium. And it helps people with angina, you know, kind of chest pain, which is caused by inadequate perfusion in the heart muscle. The company has had some success selling the reducer in Europe, but total sales there even now are still in the hundreds. And 
It only recently expanded into France, for example. Um, other than that, it's in Germany and Switzerland and Austria. So this money will really help expand more in Europe. I assume they're trying to get the reducer approved in the US, right? How's that going? Uh, well, so Neovasc has the rare and unfortunate distinction of being one of the few companies that I've covered that brought a PMA for a device to the FDA's cardiovascular devices advisor panel and had a definitively negative result. It happens, uh, but it's not very common. But this is what happened to them in October. The panel that met then determined that Neovast just didn't have enough convincing data to support approval of Reducer. Now, the company sponsored a sham controlled trial of the device, um, and that did appear to show that it improves patient symptoms. But the device is targeted at people who have not gotten better on drugs and are not good candidates for any other kind of procedure like a surgery. And so the panel concluded that the way the trial tracked patients' drug regimens didn't provide enough information such that they could ever figure out really who these people were and who, therefore who was really suitable for the reducer therapy. Now, I recall the same thing kind of happened with renal denervation devices, which are treat hypertension. If you have a therapy for people who fail to get much better on drugs, which is true of a lot of device therapies, then it's really important to know exactly which drugs they were taking and when, so you kind of know who those people are and when you should treat them. But in that case, you know, Medtronic was able to sort that out and then eventually did a better trial and that worked for renal denervation and now they're moving forward with that therapy. So maybe Neovask uh, with this new money can do something like that with Reducer, do a new trial, better define who their patient population is and then get FDA approval. So are they going to do that then? Well, I suspect that somebody will, but it's not entirely clear to me that it's going to be Neovask. So they aren't revealing much. But they simply told me that their strategy with the FDA is still yet to be decided. They said in December at a conference that they're looking into all their options and talking to possible partners. So that made me think that they seem to be looking to be either acquired or maybe get a, another big partner involved or maybe sell just the reducer technology to another company who will be able to take it forward. You know, because it seems like it would be a very good fit with any number of big companies uh, that do a lot of interventional cardiology or structural heart devices. Does Neovasc have any other technology? Yeah, they also have a mitral valve repair device called Tierra, and they've done some trials on that in Europe, and they're working on some more. As we've written about that, you know, there are a bunch of companies that are doing things in mitral valve repair or mitral valve replacement, uh, minimally invasive mitral valve repair or replacement in particular. And that's a big, largely unmet need, and it's a tricky valve to fix. So if the Tierra continues to show success, I suspect that one of the big companies might want to buy that technology too, or separately, or do something with that. That sounds like something to keep an eye on. You can read all of these articles and a lot more right now at medtechinsight.com. In addition to what we've just talked about, there's a lot more commercial and R&D news going on including more big financing deals, clinical trials, and product launches. We also have complete coverage of how the ongoing transition to the new administration in Washington will impact the medtech industry, the latest regulatory news from Europe and around the world, and a lot more. You can follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at medtech underscore insight. I'm at medtech Barnaby. Marion is at medtech Marion, M-A-R-I-O-N. And read is at MedTech Read. Two E's. Thanks.